he's got one house that it's got like a witch's hat for a roof up into a point. And if you look at it, you're like, that looks like a witch's hat. If you have ever built anything before, you just wonder like, how did he even do that? Because building things square is already difficult. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 129 with Dylan McGaster. Dylan McGaster started his YouTube channel at the age of 21 with only $1,000 in the bank. He backpacked for six months, converted a van, and lived in it for close to two years. Then, he decided to move to the Mediterranean and buy a sailboat with only seven days of sailing experience with two strangers that he met through the internet. He has now sailed over 6,000 nautical miles and visited 27 countries. In this interview, we'll talk about van life versus boat life and how to do it all on the cheap. Stick around. But first, I'd like to tell you about the sponsor for today's episode, Tiny House Engage. Have you been working on planning or building your tiny house and feel like you want to connect with other people, get your questions answered, and just support each other along the way? Well, Tiny House Engage is the community for you. Tiny House Engage brings together tiny house hopefuls and DIYers to share plans and resources, learn from each other's challenges and mistakes, and celebrate our successes so that we can feel less alone while we build faster, safer, smarter, and cheaper tiny homes to embrace the tiny house lifestyle. Whether you're a tiny dreamer who is still figuring out all the systems, plans, and everything you need to go into your tiny house, or if you're actively building, Tiny House Engage has the resources and members to connect with for you. There are professional contractors in the community here to answer your questions about plumbing, electricity, and ventilation, and there's also plenty of interaction between members. If you need some encouragement or just need to know how someone else solved a particular problem, you'll get those answers in Tiny House Engage. I'm also very personally active in the community, answering questions and keeping an eye on things. So if you want to interact with me, this is a great place to do it. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, go to thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Registration opens on Tuesday, September 29th, and will remain open until we get 20 new members or for one week, whichever comes first. Again, that website is thetinyhouse.net slash engage. All right, I am here with Dylan McGaster. At the age of 21, Dylan embarked on an inner and outer exploratory journey through South America with a backpack and a camera. In the short span of four years, he created the thriving production company Florb, while traveling to 27 countries in his self-converted van and now sailboat. He's considered one of the pioneers of the alternative living movement on YouTube. Dylan recently started a second YouTube channel, self-titled Dylan McGaster, featuring his current sailing, travel, and life adventures. Dylan McGaster, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ethan. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. Um, I spent I spent about eight minutes watching, I don't know what they call it on YouTube, but it's like the video that is kind of like there on your channel, like that kind of introduces people to your, to your channel. And man, what a whirlwind story. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Um, yeah, the feature video. That uh, that one was a fun one to make, but 
yeah, kind of just goes through my whole backstory real briefly, like you said, in about eight minutes and brings it up to the boat. And then now I've been living on a sailboat for about uh, two years. Um, and before that lived in a van for about two years. And then before that lived out of a backpack for about six months. Um, and have been traveling. Yeah. Been traveling full time for over four years coming up on four. Well, I guess now it's four and a half years. So I'm interested in like what, what kind of decision went off in your head or just like what sparked you wanting to kind of change how you were living each one of those times like you kind of went from a backpack Mm -hmm. to a van and then a van to a sailboat was it about like oh i need more space or is it more about like what you want to be able to do or how do you how did you approach those decisions yeah pretty much both of those right so after traveling six months living in a backpack um you kind of realize like that's that's real minimalistic living um i had two backpacks i had one that was like kind of your standard hiking backpack and then one that was like more your standard school backpack and one was basically completely full of camera gear and then the other one was full of like clothes so i had the least amount of clothes that i could possibly carry and i had a tent a really lightweight tent and um yeah just like real minimalist travel gear and then everything else was camera gear i carried a drone with me and everything like that And so after six months of doing that, it was like, okay, this is really burdensome to have to carry both these backpacks um, while traveling. And yeah, I'm ready to do something different. I've had my experience with the buses and all that kind of stuff, but that limits you, right? Like you can only go where a bus will take you and then you have to walk or take a taxi or something like that or hitchhike. And so uh, I was in America at the time and it was a mix between still wanting to travel and wanting more space and, and then also the freedom and then also being, um, confined by my budget of being basically broke. And so it was like, okay, well, how can I make this work? Van was what kind of came together. Um, so I bought a van for 2000 bucks and then lived in it for about two months, um, with like no conversion, just a, mattress in a cooler and then took it back to Kansas City, built it out in a month and then traveled in it for the the next what like 18 months and traveled all around the US with it. I took it from coast to coast, bought it in Maine and then drove it all the way through to California, drove it up into British Columbia and then down into Mexico. Um and then you know about I don't know, about 18 months into that a year and a quarter year and a half i was starting to feel a little cramped again like because i couldn't actually stand up in my van and um and by that time i had the the youtube channel was working and and i was making money and um i paid off my debt and so it was like okay well i wanted i want to keep traveling i don't i don't know exactly why but i feel like i'm not done traveling yet and i want more space so it's like well i could get a bigger van I could get a bus or an RV or something like that, or I could just change it up completely and get a sailboat. And so to me, that was like the best option. I was like, that sounds really dope. I want to do that. And so I decided in November that I was going to move to the Mediterranean and live on a sailboat. And then by May, 
I was on a sailboat in the Mediterranean that I just bought. Wow. It it seemed like watching your your bio, it was a long time before, you know, you kind of found success with the YouTube channel, like quite a mm-hmm. ways into that journey. Um what what kept you going? Like why, you know, it seems like you just persevered and just kept going mm-hmm. until you until you got where you wanted to be. Yeah. So it was about two and a half years before the whole YouTube career started making a profit, a monthly profit. It was longer than that before it was like an actual out of debt profit. But to to meet like monthly expenses, it took about two and a half years to get to that. And in that two and a half years, I had multiple different like changes of style of content that just didn't work. And so it switched it up and then eventually landed on these short documentaries of alternative styles of living, people that live in tiny houses, people that live in vehicles, people that live in tree houses, um, eco projects, eco villages, um, all that kind of stuff landed on that. And then, um, when I landed on that, I noticed that my the YouTube views had, had gone from 1,000 views a day to 3,000 views a day. And so it had taken me you know, two years to get to 1,000 views a day. And then pretty much overnight, when I changed the style of content and went from 1,000 to 3,000, I was like, that's, that's significant. And so I kept doing that. And then about six months later was the first month that I kind of broke even. And so kind of what kept me going during that difficult time because that those first two and a half years were incredibly difficult. Um, and there, I mean, there are multiple different low points in that. Um, but I had, I had made a commitment to myself that I was going to make YouTube my career, that I was going to figure that out and make that happen. So in my mind, it, the question of quitting was never actually entertained. It was like, no, I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> but that being said, um, I had written in my calendar for January 1st of 2017. Um, it was, I wrote in it. I was like, okay, if you're not making money on YouTube by now, go get a real job, um, something like that. And then on January 1st was when I posted um, a video that like, it was like my first viral video. It got 300,000 views in a month. And then that was the first month that I actually broke even. That's awesome. L- let's talk about those alternative living spaces as you've kind of dubbed them. And I-, I like that. You've probably seen some really funky ones. Maybe you can share yeah. like a couple favorites that you've gotten to to tour in person and share it on your channel. Yeah, one of my favorites is um, Mike Bassich's tiny cabin that he, his tiny cabin that he built on top of a mountain. And then we also recently just filmed, he uh, finished his um, Fuso conversion. So he's got a big like box van conversion as well, which is really, really cool. Um, but his cabin is just, it's something else, man. It, it's made out of uh, granite stones that they were all like river stones. So he had carried all of these stones to the, there's a river on his piece of property from there up onto the top of this mountain. And he's like, and he's like, listen, building it up here versus down there. I know it's only like 500 feet elevation difference, but he's like, it is 
way more work building it up here than it is down there. So over, I don't remember exactly how long it took him, but over a period of time, he ended up gathering all these stones, building out this structure, and then he built this whole, his his cabin on um, his own dimensions, like his own sacred geometry dimensions. It's a pentagon, and he's got a bunch of really cool, like, little features uh, built into the house, but then his carpentry work in there is just phenomenal, and it's south-facing, and it has, like, two really just, the two south-facing sides are complete glass so they just let in all that sunlight um, and when i was there it was all covered in snow as well um, and he's got a wood burning stove in there but the the feel of that one is really something special because it's all made from river stones and then wood um, and when you're in there you can feel how much time and dedication went into it right because like I said, it, it took him years to finish it, uh, and and it's really really something special. That one's one of my favorites for sure. And then another one that comes to mind is Sunray Kelly. I don't know if you're familiar with Sunray Kelly. He's in Washington, and he's he's a uh, a natural builder, and so he everything that Sunray makes has curves in it to some degree. Like he makes yurts, he makes he makes all sorts of different kind of buildings, but everything is curvy and. He's got um he like he's got one house that it's got like a witch's hat for a roof. Like it it slopes at that um what like an exponential curve type of slope um up into a point. And if you look at it, you're like, that looks like a witch's hat. And you look at it and you if you have ever built anything before, you just wonder like, how did he even do that? Because building things square is already difficult if you're not like really good at it and so and he's building things that are completely curved and he'll use trees that still have the roots on them right so he'll just like take a tree use it as a rafter and then have the roots sticking out on the end um and then build the roof around that and and then he'll do living roofs right and and build out a cedar and he's got stump houses and anyway his property in washington you walk around that and you feel like you've entered into a fairy tale um you're walking through you know the old old growth forests and then there's just these tiny little cabins um speckled about on his property that all feel like you know like gnomes live in them or fairies or something like that his are really special Nice. Yeah, those are two great recommendations. I, I look forward to checking those out. Um, I want to ask a bit about your van, uh, Gladys, uh, which is yeah. a great name for a van, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So she was $2,000 to buy. And then how much was your conversion? Yeah, so um, Gladys, which I got that name. My friend Lindsay actually came up with that name. And I was like, that's perfect. Gladys the Gladiator. Yeah, so I bought her for two grand out of Maine, and the van used to be a van for like a disabled group home. They would use it to transport the residents, and so it had a wheelchair lift in it, and it had one seat in the back and then two seats in the front, and then the rest of the back was, there were no seats in it. They had put in a special floor so that they could put wheelchairs in it and then, you know, put seat belts around the wheelchairs. And 
when, so I had to gut that and then I built it all out all within a month and it cost the conversion cost me three grand initially. And then about a year later, I added some, uh, some upgrades and whatnot for the trip down into Mexico. But the initial build, yeah, cost me three grand. Um, and at that point I was pretty much completely broke. And so I put that three grand, um, build pretty much all on credit, which is not a recommendation. That's just how it happened for me. That was reality for me, but it's not advice for other people. So, you know, I, I, what I like about this, about learning about Gladys is just people are now spending like 50, 60, 70 K on like these tricked out sprinter vans and like they're obviously a different thing but um it sounds like for for 5k you were able to travel and live for for almost two years yeah pretty much i i I remember i i made a video about like the initial build which was like i spent one month converting my van or something like i don't remember the exact title but it's on the it's on floor if you want to see that but in that, I come to a conclusion that um, it, it all ends up costing me around seven grand whenever you take into consideration some other costs and hidden factors and repairs to the van and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, seven grand for a place to live that you can drive anywhere and your only cost then is fuel is, I mean, in my mind, completely reasonable. You're not paying rent. You know, if you're in any city, you're going to be paying at least $600 in rent. Um, so, you know, you do the math on that and that's, um, 1200 bucks every two months. And it's like, before you know it, you're seven grand in. Um, so yeah, to me, I, I think that was perfectly reasonable. And then the amount that you save each month by not spending on rent, but then also just living simply, especially at that time, I was like, what, 20, one twenty-two, and I was uh, yeah single, and so it was like yeah, like I said, I couldn't stand up in it, and so my pain threshold was it was pretty high. I mean, it was just kind of like um, living in it was like glamping for two years, but that, I was fine with that. That didn't that didn't bother me at all. I enjoyed it because of all the other benefits that came with it, right? Like being able to drive wherever I wanted, be able to park on the beach and then go park in the forest and then go park by a lake and then uh, go park in a Walmart <laughs> and then, you know, move wherever I wanted. All those benefits outweighed any of the discomforts that came with it. Nice. What, um, what advice would you have based on that experience, you know, to someone who is maybe also looking to do a van, like, on the cheap as cheap as possible um like maybe like was that specific model of van good like what what things did you learn from living in there that you would maybe do differently Mm -hmm. next time so gladys she was a like a find 1992 when i bought her she only had sixty five thousand miles on it so that's it for two grand it's like i mean you can't really get better than that um, and being on the East Coast had almost no rust on the undercarriage, which was, you know, surprising because since it was, had such low miles, they just didn't really drive it that much. And in the winter, they just didn't drive it very much. So, 
Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to save money, you've really got to do your van research and figure out what model and what making model is going to work for you. And then where's the cheapest place to buy it. Um, like for me, I just happened to be in New Hampshire at the time. And so looking in Maine, I found this van and it was like, perfect. Okay, go get it. But you know, if you're someplace else where vans are in higher demand, then maybe it makes sense to find a van in a different state that would be cheaper and then go get it and drive it back. It just it just depends on like what exactly you're looking for. But um, you definitely need to check it out and make sure um, to that the main things are good, right? The engine's good. If you're going to do repairs, they're going to be relatively few or you're at least aware of like, what repairs are going to need need to happen. And then um, the place where you really save money is doing the conversion yourself, right? Like if you got to pay somebody to do that, that's going to be, you know, you got to pay for labor and that's, that's expensive. So if, if you can do the labor yourself, you're going to save a ton of money there. That's going to take time. Um, and depending on how, how you, you're going to do it, like if, if you're only working on weekends, it's going to take you longer. Um, but it's worth it, I think. And then all the things that you learn when building your own living space, I think, are invaluable. And then the other things to save money is like, depending on how much time you've got, you can, I mean, there's so many different people out there that have built a tiny house or a van or a bus conversion or anything like that. And they've built it with like 90 to 100% reclaimed materials. And that's completely doable. And so you can get all of your materials basically for free if you're, you know, savvy and thrifty, but that takes more time. And so it's always a trade off between um, money and time and how, like, you have to decide for yourself which sacrifice are you willing to make? Do you want to get on the road now? Because if you want to get on the road now, then it's going to be more expensive up front in one way or another. But then also, the thing that you have to consider realistically is like for you, what are you willing to um, deal with, right? Like what discomfort are you willing to live with? Are you willing to live with a van that you are not able to stand up in? And you have to be honest with yourself for that. And it's perfectly fine if you're not willing to do that, but uh, you need to know whether or not you are. And then the same thing with, um, other features in the van. It's like, do you need an actual sink that has running water? Or um, is that something that you can go without and you're willing to deal with some other workaround? So depending on <laughs> how much you're willing to suffer, I guess, or like how much you're willing to deal with discomfort will determine what you need, right? Like what creature comforts do you need That'll make it actually livable for you. And then what can you do without? And obviously, the more simple to build, the easier it will be to build. And then also the cheaper it will be to build. Got it. I wanted to to shift gears and, and hear about your move to the sailboat. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in the video, I was like, wait a minute. where? So, so these, these two strangers came and met you in Florida and got, and you guys took a 14 day repositioning cruise, which I don't even know what that is to <laughs> Barcelona. So I guess a few questions like 
who were these people and why did they decide to like get on a boat with a stranger for for <laughs> now like a year and um you know just how did you how did you come up with this like because you, you wanted to live on a boat but it seems like slightly elaborate for how to get there yeah <laughs> yeah uh i mean there's there's more straightforward ways i guess to moving on to a sailboat but um for me the whole concept of like moving to the mediterranean and living on a sailboat was one very foreign but also like pretty scary to me because at the time i knew nothing about sailing i'd never been sailing before basically i'd been on one sailboat um which was eddie's sailboat eddie landis and and so I needed some sort of, I, I learned this from Tim Ferriss. It's like, if you want to get something done, if you really want to get something done, you need to have, um, you know, motivation to do it, right? Like some sort of reward for getting it done. But then you also need stakes. You need something bad that'll happen if you don't do it, right? And so um, an easy way to create those stakes is um, some you think of it in terms of like a type of public humiliation, right? If I, if I'm telling everybody that this is what I'm going to do and then I don't do it, then I have to be like, yeah, I didn't do it. And you have to deal with that, um, whatever public shame. Um, and so that type of embarrassment is powerful, but then also by choosing a cruise ship, um, a repositioning cruise, um, which I can go into just a minute, what a repositioning yeah. cruise is. But one of the reasons I chose that was like, okay, so that ship is leaving at this time and this date, no matter what, with or without me on board. And so that that's motivation, right? Like tickets are purchased. So now it's like, you need to be on that ship ready to go. And then once you get there, like you need to have stuff sorted out because you'll be getting there. And that to me was heavily motivating and then by then having the crew which at the time was uh tara and jackson so i had put a video out on youtube saying like this is what i'm going to do we're going to go to the mediterranean sail around and then we're eventually going to sail across the atlantic back to america i don't have a sailboat blah 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 this is the plan <laughs> and it was like it it was a very rough pitch as far as like uh breadth of the formation of the idea um and so i had video applicants that applied for the crew positions and i ended up uh, choosing tara and jackson and so they met me in miami and then the three of us got on the cruise ship and so that's even more motivation right like now i really need to make this happen because these two people are depending on me as well so i use these different um to, you know fuel sources so to speak to like really make sure that i got it done because with a in my mind with a goal that crazy it was something that i could have if i didn't tell anybody about it and i didn't have external reasons why it needed to happen it could have been one of those things that i would have been like yeah i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that and then you know before you know it, it's 20 years later and i haven't done it and so for me, especially to do on such a short time frame, six months, I I needed a lot of different motivation um, sources, and so I used different techniques for that. Um, and so, yeah, found the found 
uh, Jackson and Tara online via YouTube. And so did some video calls with them. And then they met in Miami. We hopped on this repositioning cruise. And so a repositioning cruise is when, um, so, you know, the Caribbean has a season for cruise ships. And then once that season is over, they can't do cruise ships, but cruise ships are insanely expensive. So they need to be working them all the time. But instead of um, cruising a ship from Florida to England or to the Mediterranean empty, they just do another cruise. And so their whole goal for that cruise is just to cover costs. Like they're not, they're not, it's, it's not a very popular cruise because it's a one-way ticket across the ocean. So, you know, if you're a normal person, you'd get to Barcelona and then you'd have to fly back to America. Um, or, you know, you'd have to fly to America and then come back to Europe type of thing. So they're not insanely popular. And because of that, they're cheaper. They're a lot cheaper than normal cruises. And so if you take into account um, the amount of time it takes, so it took 14 days to get there. During those 14 days, we had lodging was included. All of our food was included. And the food is like gourmet food. It was fantastic food. Um, and then you, you don't have to deal with jet lag, right? Because you're going across time zones very slowly. Um, you get four stops. We stopped in the Azores, Portugal, uh, another stop in Portugal, and then a couple stops in Spain before we landed in Barcelona. And so if you take all of that into account with the price of the ticket, it all becomes like very reasonably priced. And so that's, yeah, that's kind of how that came together. That's amazing. I, it seems like <laughs> such a hidden gem for, for someone who wants to travel the world and do it in, in interesting ways. So are they picking up people at each one of those port calls or like, is it just, no? so yeah, you, I mean, it's a regular cruise. Like everything that you would have in a normal cruise is included. It's not like they skimp on anything. They just don't return you back to where you started. Right. Exactly. That's the down downside is you, right. you're, you end up across the planet. <laughs> Got it. But Got it. Uh, yeah, I, I learned about those, um, from, uh, my friend Jason's podcast zero to travel back when I was, um, first getting into travel, I'd been listening to his podcast a lot and he, uh, he had an episode about repositioning cruises and I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Store that one away for just future use. And then it was like, Oh, this is, this is a perfect opportunity to use, to use that. That's awesome. So did you, did you sell Gladys before you embarked on this next leg? No, I actually still have her. Um, she's in storage at the moment and uh, might be getting back on the road here in the near future with a friend, but we'll see what happens. But yeah, we still still have her. Um, so before we started rolling, you, you mentioned that you are in Tunisia. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you what it's been like being kind of a vagabond world traveler during the global pandemic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not ideal in terms of traveling, but it's been, uh, for, for me, it's, it's been like a hidden opportunity because it's forced us to stay in one spot. And so that's allowed us to 
get a lot of uh, computer work and different types of work that we needed to get done that would have just kept getting put off and piling up and piling up. And so it it acted as a perfect opportunity to get caught up on all of that work. Um, But, you know, we haven't been traveling. So we had been living on the sailboat um, in one spot for months. And we had actually been living on the sailboat on land because we had pulled it out of the water to do some work on it. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, well, I guess we're out on on land now. Um, So we lived on it on land for almost two for 82 days. And then got put back in the water and then we're living in the marina. And then eventually Tunisia opened up its borders within the country. So you could travel region to region within Tunisia. And so we rented a car and now we're doing just a little road trip through the country to see some of the country before Malta opens up its borders. And then we're going to sail to Malta. But it's been, you know, it's not humans. We adapt so fast and for Tunisia, the, the country acted a lot faster than some countries did in relation to the pandemic. They closed their borders a lot sooner, so they didn't have a whole lot of cases. And so they kind of squashed it here pretty quick. Um, and everything was still accessible. It was like we could go to you know the supermarket and get food and everything like that. You know, For the first week, it was like, oh my God, there's nothing on the shelves because everybody was buying everything. But once people got used to it, it went back to normal relatively quick. I mean, for the first couple of weeks, they had a queue outside of the grocery store. And so you had wait, wait, and then they'd let, you know, 12 people in at a time, wait 10 minutes, let some more people in, wait 10 minutes and do that. But now it's all completely back to normal. Um, but it, yeah, it's been not ideal, but I personally haven't minded it too much. I mean, now I'm like definitely ready to get moving again. So you've gone from backpack to van to boat. Um, do you have an idea of, of your next kind of dwelling? Are you thinking maybe of a, a tiny house on wheels? Uh, I was thinking maybe you'd become a pilot and live in a plane. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely plan to get my pilot's license at some point. But the, the next step is eventually build a house of some sort and build a dwelling place and then not settle down completely, but like have a home base to then operate out of, um, and kind of like come and go from there. But that's a, that's a bit of a ways away, not too far in the future, but not right around the corner. But yeah, I, I don't imagine myself ever like living long-term in some sort of conventional housing unit it just doesn't make sense to me. And so I, I plan to build my own house slash houses in the future. And so that's, that's the plan. I'll build, yeah, some sort of tiny house or dwelling place. I don't even know if it'll be tiny. Maybe it'll just be like small or medium, or maybe it'll be big. I don't know. Um, the, yeah, and we'll just take it as we go. But that's the plan is next step would be to build a place to have as a home base to then operate out of. Nice. Well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is what are two or three resources that have inspired you um, either in your various tiny dwellings, your travel, or just 
life in general? Um, so for me, the resources that really helped me in like living tiny and then with these alternative living spaces was real boots on the ground work, right? Like being in these different locations and being able to film them and learn from these specific people. And because of that, I was, you know, I created a whole channel around that. And so that's a whole resource that, um, I've built myself that is out there to be helpful and useful to people. So I'd uh, obviously recommend Florb on YouTube, um, F-L-O-R-B. And that's got loads of different videos pretty much on any type of dwelling, alternative living space, dwelling st- uh, type that you would be interested in. Um, and so that's a great resource. Just YouTube in general. There's so much stuff on YouTube for any skill that you need in in the process of building a tiny house or something like that. It's like, if you don't know how to do woodworking, there's loads of carpentry YouTube channels. And then if you don't know how to do electrical work, it's like there's so many different tutorials on YouTube that explain basic electrical engineering and then how to wire things in 12 volt and all that kind of stuff. And so YouTube is like the biggest resource for learning things in my life and for people who I talk to that uh, have done self builds, they're like, dude, I learned it all via YouTube. And I mean, that's how I learned filmmaking was from YouTube. It's, it, it's an insane resource. So valuable. Um, but then other than that, it's like, if you can find somebody in your area that, or relatively close to you that has lives in a tiny house or lives in a van or built a tree house or, you know, built an earthship, something like that. And you can go and talk to them and see their space and spend some time with them. That is invaluable because you'll get one, you'll get a feel of what it's like to actually be in that size of space. And you'll be like, okay, do I need it a bit bigger? Can I go a bit smaller? Like, oh, this is actually more space than I thought it would. I could actually go a bit smaller. Um, and and then you can talk to that person and kind of figure that out. Um, ask them some questions of to to your specific whatever it is that you're specifically wanting to do. So YouTube, and then see if you can um, find somebody in your area to to visit with. Uh, and then other than that, Reddit. Reddit is very very helpful. And there's all sorts of different subreddits. There's a Van Dwellers one. There's a Tiny House one. Um, I'm sure there's a carpentry one. I'm sure there's an electric one and you can find pretty much everything on Reddit as well. And one of the great things about Reddit rather than YouTube is with Reddit, you can ask a question, uh, you can ask a question and real people will respond to you. And Reddit to me is like, I mean, there's some parts of Reddit that are really dumb, but there's, there's, there's really, really intelligent people on Reddit. And it's like, to me, an underground resource that a lot of people don't utilize. Um, and the amount of times I've gone to Reddit and asked a question and got so much information that I would not have been able to, you know, it would have taken me hours upon hours to find all this information, but one person already knew it all and just typed it out. It's like, yeah, Reddit is fantastic. It's a really good community and um, generally is full of very intelligent people. 
Yeah, I, I agree that um, I've found so much great stuff on Reddit. And, yeah. you know, when you're searching for the answer to like a complicated problem, like the chances are that you're going to find a Reddit thread where people have discussed this the same problem. Yeah, definitely. And it and if you can't find a thread already, then you can type out your specific one. Yeah, you can type out your specific situation and then have people uh, people comment on it and reply yeah. to it. And the people on Reddit are so friendly. I mean, <laughs> to, I found my boat on Reddit, which is absolutely crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I love I love that story. Actually, maybe maybe you could tell like the story of finding your specific boat and also um, maybe tell us about the, the name um, yeah. and, you know, why you chose it, and what it means. OK, so um, when I had made that decision to I was like, OK, I'm going to go to the Mediterranean by a sailboat. I had no idea what I was doing. And so I went to Reddit and I just typed out my whole situation. I was like, this is what I, what I want to do. I want to go to the Mediterranean, live on a sailboat. I have no experience. I want to do this by May. What do I, what kind of paperwork do I need to make this legal? Because I don't even like, I don't even know where to look to figure out what kind of paperwork I need. Um, and so put that onto Reddit. One guy was like, yeah, you definitely can't do that by um, April, that's impossible. And then another guy was <laughs> much more kind and was like, uh, here's, he, I mean, he put like three or four paragraphs and was like, listen, I, I did it in the Caribbean. It's not that difficult. This is what you need. This is what you don't need. This is what they say you need, but you don't really need. Um, and he just kind of laid all of that out. And then he was like, oh, and by the way, I have a sailboat in Barcelona that I'm trying to set, sell because I just moved into a catamaran. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. What kind of boat is it? So he sent me some photos. I was like, how much do you want? And he was like, this much. And I was like, well, that's too much. And it's, I don't need it for four months. So, I'm, and I've never seen it. So I'm not going to buy a boat that I've never seen four months in advance. Um, so I just stopped messaging him. And then about a month later, he came back with half the price. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, let's just kind of keep this conversation going. And then it just so happened that Barcelona is where the cruise ship was ending. Like that's where it was landing. And so a week before, um, I, I ended up being like, here's my offer. Um, will you, I was like, here's my offer of 10 grand. Will you, I'll buy it for that. If I'll buy it for that sight unseen, I'll take that risk based on your word. Um, if I can get it for this price, because that's insanely cheap. And for a boat, that's like crazy cheap. And so that was a risk I was willing to take. And so he said, okay, let's do it. So we landed in Barcelona at like 8am. And then by 1pm, we were moving onto the sailboat. It was perfect. And it was like within walking distance of where the, the ship landed. And so we, we spent the next three days just kind of getting her ready, took everything out of the boat, cleaned the whole boat, took inventory of what all it came with, which was like a lot of gear, um, which I'm really happy with. Like he, it was really well kitted out. Um, the boat's already been around the world once and it sailed across the Atlantic both ways. So we took inventory, cleaned it all out. And then on, on May 11th, we moved on to it on May 6th. On May 11th, we did our maiden voyage to Mallorca, which was 111 miles. Um, so that was a 20 plus hour sail. Um, and that was our first sail. And so we did over the next month, we did some different work on it, 
um, took it out of the water, did some repairs, cleaned it up, painted the deck and all that kind of stuff, and then eventually renamed the boat. And we renamed it, uh, changed its name to Arianrod. And that's a Celtic name. It comes from Celtic mythology. Uh, Arianrod is the, um, the goddess of the moon, right? It's the silver moon, the silver wheel. And uh, she, in, in the myth, she has two sons. And one of the sons is named Dylan. And so Dylan also means um, son of the wave. And so I was like, well, I, at first I didn't think I was going to rename it, but I wasn't particularly fond of the name of the sailboat at the time. And it, and it had already been renamed before. Had it never been renamed between its owners, I wouldn't have renamed it. But had since it had already been renamed, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so, yeah, then I learned that story. I was like, yeah, that's a name. That's the name of the boat. So renamed her name's Ardian Rod. Nice. Um, so before we go, why don't you tell us about, um, so the Florb channel is where people can see like tours and videos of all these, um, alternative living spaces. And then your new channel, um, why don't you tell us where, where we can find it and like what we, what we can expect to find on it. Right. So if you go to YouTube and you just search Dylan McGaster, then both channels will pop up, both Florb and Dylan McGaster will pop up and Florb is the alternative living spaces, short documentaries. And then Dylan McGaster, we just recently launched, and it's these short videos on, you know, around 10 to 12 minutes, something like that, maybe a bit longer, maybe a bit shorter, um, about travel and adventure and philosophy and life. And so they're videos on what you would expect to get out of travel, right? It's not just we went from point A to point B and this is what happened. It's like, we went from point A to point B, this is what happened and this is how it changed me as a person or this is the things I learned from that or this is the um, cultural and philosophical ideas that um, were thought-provoking from that. And so it, it the videos come out and feel a bit more like a travel diary or a journal entry than they do just like a video log of what literally happened. And and I'm really happy with how they've been turning out. And so, yeah, you can find that on Dylan McGaster on YouTube. And so far it's been mainly sailing content on that. But like I said, it goes into the philosophy of life and travel and things that I've learned while living on the road and living on the sea and how that's impacted me as a person. Awesome. Well, Dylan McGaster, it's great to meet you, and thanks for being a guest on the show. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you so much to Dylan McGaster for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to Dylan's YouTube channels and lots of photos of his various tiny accommodations at thetinyhouse.net slash 129. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 129. Also, don't forget to check out Tiny House Engage, my exclusive online tiny house community. You can learn more and register for access at thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.